who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This recording may contain content unsuitable for children. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm your host, Brian. And I'm your host, Will. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons and Dragons, from monstrous mandibles to makeshift machinery. And today we're going to be talking about the class breakdown for The Fighter. The Seven Sieges! It'll be the last challenge for our bullfighter, the Beast of the Southeast, the Might of Malagna, Gregor Bravo Will our chosen champion be able to take on our carnivorous creature we have set in store for him? Come on then, I can take anything you've got. All right, let's get into it. So, uh, Will, as a broad overview, uh, what can you tell me about the fighter? The fighter is one of the four quintessential classes of D&D that goes all the way back to the original first edition of D&D. Um, and as it entails, the fighter is good at one main thing, and that is fighting. Combat is the fighter's domain, if you will. Um, the fighter can be one of many many things it's a very versatile class a very dynamic class um it can be anything from your basic warrior or soldier to an advanced mercenary or like skirmisher uh swashbuckling swashbuckling pirate even um the fighter can be uh, many many things and uh i find it to be one of the most interesting classes there are um which is funny because when i first started playing the game i actually found the fighter very very mundane and boring sounding um, I, I like why would I play? Why would I play the fighter when I could just play play a character that was a fighter who could also call down divine justice of the gods, or a fighter who could also traverse nature, make friends with animals and stuff like that, or a wizard, you know, who can just call spells at his command at any point of time. Yeah. So when uh, you can do all these amazing things in D anD D, why would you pick the fighter? There has to be a reason, right? Yeah, definitely. And um I you know, I I would say that the fighter is stands out actually in comparison to a lot of those classes that being the best of what it does. Um there's no class out there that fights better than the fighter. You're going to more than likely be able to go out there and stomp some enemies with your weapons way way better than like a paladin or a ranger necessarily might be able to. Um you know, the the fighter definitely shines with 
its versatility. Like you could have two fighters built side by side that are so different from each other that you wouldn't even recognize them as being from the same class. Like you could have a dexterity based fighter that dual wields, uh, you know, light weapons. And then you could have a like heavy strength fighter with a two handed great ax that specializes in just bashing things open. So the fighter can do a number of things. You can have an archery based fighter. Um, you could have a fighter that specializes in just throwing weapons. Yeah, like all range based attacks. Yeah, all range based attacks. Yeah. Do you, do you build that guy dexterity based? Yeah, definitely. You would definitely want your uh, ranged character to be dexterity based. So a strength based fighter um, has, you know, I, I always picture that with like some guy with a big weapon. Right. So is that that typically what you do with the strength based based fighter? You want to give him some some meat. Like yeah, able to take yeah, chunks you, of damage that out. or, you know, just a, a, a shield and sword if you want to be a little bit more on the defensive side of things. Also, um, you can dual wield with heavy weapons. You just have to take a feat for that. Okay. So um, there could be a fighter that's dual wielding, you know, two pretty, not great swords, but two pretty big long swords. Okay. So when you, when you're building fighters, you have a lot of different routes you can take. Um, mm-hmm, definitely. So what do you want to do as uh like our most, most fighters, you know, are going to be into fighting so that should be something you should include in your character's storyline right yes definitely if you're choosing the fighter it's because like fighting and combat is a major part of your character's life and so i would say when when developing your fighter and building him from the ground up i would definitely say the place to start is with your concept like who is your fighter how how were they trained like what style of combat do they do and what sets them apart from just any other like soldier out there or any other mercenary, you know, because your hero is supposed to be just a little bit of a cut above the rest. That's how they kind of became an adventuring hero. Yeah. I like the ideas where you, uh, you're just kind of a wanderer now and you used to be part of a troop or, um, or a squadron of some kind. And, uh, you were, you guys were taken down in battle and disbanded and you flee and now you're an explorer. You don't do, you don't do the military anymore kind of storyline. Yeah. Um, but there are lots of storylines like being trained by a master and then, you know, going out into the world, your master says, Oh, you know, I've taught you everything I can. Now you need to go see what there is to see out there and you will gain like world experience Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, just like, being raised in a local town and and you're the best swordsman in your town and now, right. now you're going to go fight other swordsmen elsewhere and, and challenge the world and things like that you always want to include something to get you out of the house <laughs> right definitely because this tends to be an adventuring game so you need to be an adventurer and how you get there can can really vary with the fighter you know you could be a former legionnaire or possibly you were a gladiator or a member of a fighter's guild or uh, even just like an expert marksman from your town. And uh, you kind of can build that into your backstory and maybe it'll help you choose your background. And then from there you build onto like, well, how did you get, how did you get out of wherever you were and why are you on the road now? But um, once you've got your character concept kind of all figured out and you're ready to go on to the next step, we can kind of delve into the mechanics of the class. And uh, kind of like what makes the fighter tick? Like what are all the little bits, bobs, and pieces that make the fighter what it is? And uh, I guess we could start with its hit die and proficiency. Yeah, okay. So um, what is a hit die? So all classes in the game have a specific hit die attached to it. It's going to be one of the what five die between a D6 all the way up to a D12. Um and the fighter is actually one of the bulkier of the classes. It gets a D10 as its hit die. And the hit die is going to determine your HP as you level. So at level 1, you would take the maximum roll of your hit die, in this case a 10 on a D10, and that would be the base of your HP, and then you would add your constitution modifier to it. As you level up each time you level, you roll your hit die and add that plus your constitution modifier, and that's how much HP you gain each time you level. Um, the bulkier classes have D10s and D12s, while the spellcasting classes tend to have D6s and D8s. Um, and the fighter has a D10, which is pretty good. Second best. There's only one class out there that, that gets it better. And... Um, 
as such, you know, the fighter tends to be pretty tanky. It's, yeah, generally it'll mean that your HP is going to be uh, higher on average than another character's. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And the fighter needs it because the fighter is the one usually getting out there into the fray of it all and taking the most hits. Yeah, you're definitely going to be fighting. You're going to be out front um, taking on guys one-on-one or, or two-on-one or three-on-one or whatever you have to do. Yeah, and to do that, not only do you need good uh, hit points, but you also need good proficiencies to back it up. And the fighter has a good deal of proficiencies. The fighter is proficient in all types of armor, from heavy to light to cloth. Everything there is, the fighter can fight in. Um, all types of weapons, whether they be like military hard-to-use weapons or simple weapons that anyone can use. And also shields. Uh, fighters, of course, can use shields proficiently. Um, all Being able to use all armor, all weapons and shields, really kind of feeds into why the fighter is such a versatile um class because you have access to pretty much any kind of fighting style there is and you know the world's your oyster like you're only limited by your imagination really in that scenario um furthermore fighters are also proficient in two kinds of saves strength and constitution saves meaning that whenever um an occurrence occurs that requires that you use a save using either your strength or constitution you get to add your proficiency bonus to it which is nice especially the constitution one that one's good what situation puts you in uh, a, a place where you have to make a save for something um usually spells or traps that are triggered on you um are the two main scenarios i can think of off the top of my head um there are unofficially there are common and uncommon saves um, when it comes to spells and traps, usually a spell or a trap is going to require you to make one of three of the common saves, which are, I believe, constitution, wisdom, and dexterity. Those are the main three that are always going to come up, and it just depends on what kind of effect is being um, produced upon you. Um, strength, intelligence, and charisma, they're just less common. Um, and In the case of strength... Uh, it's actually really hard to think of a, a situation where a strength save is going to occur. Maybe if something heavy is going to fall on you and you have to catch it. Or like yeah. if you have to like stop a moving yeah. cart. Yeah, that's actually yeah, that's a good point. You're not going to be able to get out of its way. It's not really about you enduring the hits. Like, can you stop it? Yeah, yeah that I would can be imagine a like save, a yeah. cart rolling down a hill and you've got to like put your... Like, you got to go face it and put your arms right. on it and try to stop it from moving. Yeah. Maybe you're trying to save somebody. Yeah, you got to bust the Spider-Man move from, what is it, Spider-Man 2, where he puts himself in front of the train and, like... Oh, know, yeah. yeah. That was definitely strength. It. Yeah, yeah, that was a strength <laughs> save right there. And he succeeded, I yeah. would say. So, moving on from the saves, there are a certain list of skills that the fighter is capable of choosing to be proficient in. You can't be proficient in all of them outside of, like, taking a bunch of feats and stuff. But I'll go ahead and pull up the list here real quick. Yeah, it's natural not to be proficient at everything. Just being proficient just means you're really good at something. And like we talked about in previous episodes, you can't be really great at everything. Your character has to have some flaws. Yeah, definitely. Make it real. I mean, a real person isn't great at everything. At least most people aren't. So as a fighter, you get to choose um, two skills off of this skill list. You get to choose from acrobatics, animal handling, athletics, history, insight, intimidation perception and survival so it's not as wide a list of skills as some of the other classes uh, mostly because skills tend to have to do with outside of combat um the most common one i'll see most fighters take of course is athletics because most fighters are strong so why wouldn't you take athletics as one of your skills yeah i I like having the athletic speed a lot at um, like jumping over things and uh you know climbing rope and things like that it's something a fighter finds themselves doing a lot yeah, I would definitely say so. Now, each class, after all the proficiencies and the skills and the saves and the hit die and all that initial stuff, they have um, what are called features, which is the the real meat and potatoes of the class itself. And the features start at level 1 and they go all the way up to level 20, which is the max level. And I feel like it's too much to talk about all in one episode, so we're really only going to talk about basically up to level 3 when we're doing our class breakdowns, um, mostly because there's just so much content. And we'll, what we'll do is when we get to level three and we get to choose the archetype of the fighter, we'll talk about the archetypes and we'll we'll get in depth into the archetypes. But uh, I feel like if we go too far beyond that, we're going to get into, 
you know, going over our time limit here on the podcast. Yeah, level um going up to level 20 with any class and character is just there's so much you have to remember to do or talk there's just a lot to talk about. So Yeah. Um level 3 is a, a great place. Maybe someday we can do an episode on like the advanced uh fighter class. Yeah, like down. the the high levels yeah. and uh and I think it's appropriate too just because like getting to level 20, no, that's a long journey. That's a long road. Like we've been playing for how long now and you guys are barely level 5? Yeah, like 6 6 months worth of play. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it'll be a long time before you start seeing those higher levels at this rate anyways. Okay, so let's uh let's look at the possibilities for building our fighter. Okay, so the first feature that you get an actual choice in, and it's not just given to you, is your fighting style. And again, this goes back to the character concept of how were you trained and what style of combat were you trained? And then you go ahead and choose one of these five options that matches you best. Five options are archery, which gives you a plus two bonus to attack rolls. Defense style, which just gives you a plus one to your AC while you're wearing armor, which is pretty much all the time. Um, the dueling fighting style, which I think is the fighting style you chose for your fighter. And it yeah. just gives you a fat, flat plus two to your damage rolls whenever you attack with a weapon, with when you have a weapon in one hand and not a weapon in the other. Um, great weapon fighting style, which allows you to re-roll ones and twos on your damage rolls when you're using a two-handed weapon. Protection style, which is an interesting style. It's actually... It allows you to impose disadvantage on enemies when they're targeting uh, targets that aren't you. So within five feet of you, within right? five feet of you, yeah. So it's kind of a way of you protecting your allies. It's really good. Um, you can use that during a surprise round, right? Because it's your reaction. Um, possibly. I'd have to look at surprise rounds. I don't know if you get a reaction during a surprise round. Oh, that's true. I haven't really looked into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you um. If you're standing next to somebody and a fight begins and and that person standing next to you is going to get attacked, you can use this move and it'll um, impose the disadvantage. It's really handy. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. And it's it's a fun and interesting way to play your fighter because a lot of times when people play fighters, they, they're all about attacking. But playing kind of this, this guardian bodyguard kind of of your party is, I don't know, it's kind of fun. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, it makes um, your squishy wizards and warlocks and stuff... Um, really have uh, like an extra buffer between yeah, them makes them feel nice safe and secure which they should feel they, they put out <laughs> so much damage oh they can definitely um and then of course my favorite fighting style and the one i always tend to lean towards two weapon fighting which is the fun style where you get to add a little bit of extra bonus damage when you're wielding a weapon in both hands um uh, what kinds of weapons can you dual wield would that be so generally when you're dual wielding you can only dual wield weapons that have the light keyword in in their description um the ones that come to mind immediately are short swords and um daggers of course um i know there's a couple others i think there's a small axe that you can do that with as well there is a feat you can take that i highly recommend if if you want to take go that route uh it's the dual wielder feat which allows you to actually dual wield weapons that don't have the light keyword, and uh, you can go ahead and dual like long swords or battle axes Tool or whatever. anything you want. Basically. Yeah, pretty much anything that can be held with one hand. Yeah, you can dual wield it, and you get you get the full bonus and whatnot. It's, it's really nice. So after fighting styles, you also get another feature at level one called your second wind, which is a really important feature i would say that comes up a lot as a fighter if as long as you remember to use it yeah you need this one i feel like yes. depending on you know how many fights you're getting in but during a fight you get to um, basically add hit points to uh, i always look at it like i took uh i can take an extra attack at this point yeah so the second wind is just a, a nice self-healing ability that the fighter has um and it only takes a bonus action which is great so it's not like you even wasted a turn uh using it um the way i like to look at it is it's you know the fighter is um used to being in these intense scenarios where their lives are on the line and they can kind of draw upon uh, a special amount of endurance or adrenaline that just keep them going in the fight when the normal uh, combatant would probably go down. They got that little extra juice that keep, gives them an edge. And so the second wind is going to come up a lot, and it's based off your fighter level. So when you use your second wind, 
uh, you can heal yourself 1d10 plus your fighter level's worth of HP. Yeah, so at level 1, you get second win. So at level 2, you get uh, action surge, right? Yes, at level 2 comes the probably favorite feature out there for the fighter. It's called the action surge. And it's basically, uh, I believe it's once per short rest, you Mm -hmm. can just do an extra action, whatever you want to do. You can just pull it out of your ass, just whatever you want to do, whether that's an extra attack or an extra dash or... Or whatever little thing that needs to get done, you can get it done because you're just that good in combat. Yeah, once per rest, you get an extra turn, basically. Yeah, exactly. No other class gets that. Yeah, so if you really need to pull out all the stops and second win an action surge, you're probably going to do some some meaty damage. Yeah, and the fighter's good at that. The fighter is good at pulling a lot of damage all at once out of nowhere. And it's mostly because of the action surge. It's also because over the long term of them leveling up, they get more extra attacks than any other class out there. Yeah, you get a um, your first extra attack is at level five, right? Yes, for everybody, it's at level five. Yeah, but then after that, um, some classes stop getting it. Some classes are limited to three. I believe the fighter gets a total of four attacks by level twenty. Ooh, yeah, um, definitely good. So, um. Like within an that means within an action. So you get um, so you take your action and you want to attack, and then you get multiple attacks after that. Yeah, if you're the proper level. Yeah, let's say you're fighting like a, a big bad beast, and your party's not in the best of shape, and you dish out a really good attack, but it's just not quite enough to take it down. Like that's always a good point to use your action surge just to get it out of the way and kill it before it does more damage to you guys, possibly irreparable damage to you guys. So. Right. So yeah, the action surge will come in handy constantly throughout your campaign fighting. So, so those are things that every fighter gets. Yes, that's a, that's a, by level two. Every fighter has all those things. Okay, so um, what happens at level three? At level three, an interesting thing happens, and this is where you can start to kind of branch your fighter off into a specialization. Um, you get to choose between three main archetypes for your fighter, and the three archetypes are champion, battlemaster and Eldritch Knight. And all three of them are very different from each other. Okay, let's go with the champion first then. What um what do you start to do that differentiates you? Okay, so th- I, I like the champion. The champion's probably the most boring of the three, but the champion is a very brutal archetype. Basically what the champion does is it takes everything you can do as a fighter and just amplifies it. So I believe the first thing you get as a champion is an improved critical strike. So normally... When you roll a 20, you get a critical hit, which is max damage plus whatever. There's a couple different house rules for it. For the official rules, you just roll your damage twice. Um, For the champion with its improved critical hit, it actually gets a crit not only on a 20, but also on a 19. So if you roll a 19 or 20, it's considered a critical hit if you're a champion, which basically boosts your critical strike chance from a 5% to 10%. So... Theoretically, one out of every ten hits is going to be a really brutal one. Yeah, we like to play with um, what is it? Max damage on a crit, and then an extra damage die. Yeah, that's that's how I do it. Um, it I guarantees actually, your full damage off that hit plus the extra. Yeah, so. yeah. I feel like crits should definitely be uh, uh, an event worth celebrating. And sometimes you'll get that crit and you'll be really excited, and then you roll twice and you get two really bad rolls, and it's just like, wow, that sucked. Yeah, so it's really good to. Um, to have an extra crit on a 19 like you know and that's a uh, that only does that count for natural that's natural 19 and 20 only right yeah natural 19 and 20 it's not if you roll an 18 but you have a plus one that that doesn't count it's the dice needs to be showing a 19 or a 20 yeah crits are always um they're commanded by the d20 like you can't just roll like an 18 and have a plus two bonus and like, oh i crit no th- you need to roll the 20 on the die um right so the next thing that the champion gets is a feature called Remarkable Athlete. And this this comes in at 7th level. But basically what it allows you to do is that you can add half of your proficiency bonus to any strength, dexterity, or constitution check that you make that doesn't already use your proficiency bonus. Um, I believe this also pertains to saves, so you should be able to add half your proficiency bonus to a dexterity save. But... um. Again, this kind of follows the same theme of like these are things that you're already good at. Now you're just better at them. Yeah, you're you're basically with champion. You're basically a classic fighter. Um, yeah, yeah, I would say so. And in and in addition to that, the remarkable athlete feature um, improves your jump distance 
uh, equal to, I think, your strength modifier adds on. Your strength mod adds on a number of feet equal to your mod. So if your strength you can mod is two... Jump two extra feet. Two extra feet. Yeah. yeah. But it'll probably be higher than two. If you're a fighter that's, you know, taken this route, you're probably pretty strong. So it's probably going to be at least a three or four. And uh, jumping five extra feet, that's a lot if you think about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it can definitely make a huge difference. Um, so after after Remarkable Athlete at level seven, you get an ability or a feature um, at level 10, which is very, very shiny and nice, called your second fighter style. You get to go back to your level one fighting styles and choose an extra one, which is really, really cool. Gives you a lot of extra tools, right? Yeah, it definitely does. It, it it can do one of mainly two things, I would say, off the top of my head. Number one, the first thought that comes to my mind is at level one, I probably would have chosen what it, whichever fighting style helps me deal the most damage. But I would have been eyeing that either protection style or that defensive style, and I would have been super happy to be able to go back so like at level 10 being able to go back and choose the defensive style to just boost my ac and make me even more tanky that sounds like a lot of fun yeah it sounds really cool like what do i want extra to just tack on to what i already do like it would it would be good with just the one fighting style but now you get two so yeah. that's great and the other thing having two fighting styles can do is if you really really want to play the kind of fighter that can do anything in any situation so you want to be able to dual wield but you also want to be able to have a giant two-hander well, this is your chance. You get both fighting styles. Combat versatility. Yep. Um, and then finally you get a feature at level 18, which is really, really high up there. And I have yet to see someone get that high in, in, in my games. I've heard of people, of course, getting that high. But, you know, there's a difference between seeing and hearing. And it's a feature called Survivor. So when you get the Survivor feature at level 18, it really, really boosts your ability to last in battle. Because basically at the start of each of your turns, you're going to regain hit points automatically equal to five plus your constitution modifier. So what do you mean when you say automatically? Meaning just at the start of your turn, you regain however much that is. Just happens. It just happens. Okay, so cool. five plus your constitution mod, let's say you by level 18, you probably have that maxed out to, uh, to a 20 on your ability score. So the mod's going to be plus five. So that basically means at the start of each of your turns, you regain 10 hit points. That's crazy. It just makes you every turn you get 10. hit points. It just makes you that much harder to take down. It makes you just that much more of a beast, a champion, if you will. So not only do you get the survivor where you're gaining hit points every turn, if you need it, you can second win, gain even more hit points. And then you can action surge, take an extra turn and do at that point, you'll have three or four extra attacks. Yeah. By, by level 18, you, you definitely have at least three, possibly, um, Possibly four extra attacks. No, no, it's a total of three extra attacks, a total of four attacks because you're a base attack. And then you just like, so you're doing four attacks. So you can do a turn where you do eight attacks and gain, I don't know, like 20 hit points probably. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely you can. You'll be a monster by then. That, oh, I also forgot to mention that your uh, improved critical hit actually goes up again at level 15. And so not only can you crit on a 19 or 20, you crit on an 18 as well, boosting your critical strike chance from a 10% to a 15% chance of you critting. And when you have, at the end game, four total attacks, and then when you action surge and do four more, I mean, there's a high chance you're going to crit in there. You're going to do so much damage. Yeah. Like, um, just those are the dreams, uh, getting up to the high levels you yeah. know, of what's possible. Um but the ones in between are what we're going to be mostly talking about today. The high level, high level fighters—they're all all high level characters seem like so amazing. But it's uh it's that in between. I, I really like um, flavoring my power ups to like add to my character's like rich story that yeah, I, I like to develop. So absolutely, I think that's that's very important. Whenever you're doing something, describing it or describing how that works in game is always what kind of makes the game it's at its most fun. Yeah, every every person that wants to run a fighter has the option to just uh, go into what we call the mid max, which is like you anybody can build the perfect fighter that puts right. out the most damage. But Absolutely. like, does that make sense for your character story to be that good at everything, like, or to be that powerful, powerful, or to take uh, to take the same route every time? You have to be careful because you want to just keep creating the same character over and over again. Yeah, definitely. Um, so all in all, the champion really is the fighter on steroids. It's everything that you can do already, just amplified to the max. 
Um, and I, pretty much any kind of fighter can take this route effectively, whether you're a dexterity based or an archer or, you know, what a you brawler. Just some a bar like, brawler, yeah. yeah, just fighting with your fists, yeah, or of course, what most people are probably thinking, like uh, a warrior in heavy armor just coming in with a with a big old weapon. Yeah, when you hear the word champion, I think of like you know the King Arthur, the knight, the knight for stereotype. sure. I, I think of like a like a gladiatorial situation where this dude's a champion, like he just hasn't lost. He's yeah, you know, that's what I think of personally. But but yeah, the champion, just like the class that it's the archetype of, is very versatile and can be almost whatever you want it to be. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million dollars stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. It doesn't matter if you're selling scented soaps or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you'll sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. It's like I said before, Shopify is going to take your business no matter what stage it's at and elevate it to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, everyone. We wanted to take this opportunity to thank you for listening and watching. We really appreciate your support. If you like what we do here at the Dungeon Cast, please spread the word and tell your friends about us. You can find us on soundcloud.com slash the Dungeon Cast, on iTunes, or click the link in the description to hear us on YouTube. Please don't forget to like and subscribe, and if you have a question, suggestion, or just want to say hi, feel free to leave a comment. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at the TheDungeonCast, or send us an email at thedungeoncast at gmail.com. That's it for the break. Enjoy the rest of the show. All right, so we talked about the champion. Uh, what's next thing on the list? So next on the list is probably my favorite of the three archetypes, and also it's the archetype you chose for Rohan. Hell that, yeah. And that's the Battlemaster, which... Uh, what the Battlemaster does is it takes what could be seen as a really simple or mundane class that is the fighter and makes it a lot more technical and interesting and adds a whole new mechanic on top of it. Um, while the champion is basically the fighter on steroids where it is everything the fighter is but better, the Battlemaster is... Uh, tactician and strategist if you will or uh, a very technical fighter and i don't know if you want to talk a little bit about what makes the battle master that yeah i like to flavor um, my character rohan like really flashy agile character um he's got the same stat of um he's got 17 attack 17 uh dexterity so um i get to just choose what i do most of the time i was lucky with my role um but what is really unique and stands out mechanically is uh, you get something called superiority die. And you start out with... Uh, how many do you start out with? You start out with four superiority die. Four superiority die and for the Battlemaster, they are D8s. Um, I think Martial Adept is a feat that you can take as in any other class. You can just take that feat and it gives you um, battle maneuvers and a superiority die, but you operate on one D6. So the Battlemaster has... Um, multiple superiority die kind of act as like spell slots where like if you take a rest they restore um but you expend them to use these maneuvers and you typically 
with most of the maneuvers, you will roll a superiority die and add that to the damage, um, which makes it good already. But your um, your maneuver also can add like lots of different stuff. Um, yeah, the, the while the damage is nice, the uh, most important thing about the maneuvers is the rider effect they tend to be. And the maneuvers can be a myriad of things. They can be anything from parrying an attack to pushing an enemy. Like, what, what your pushing attack can push, what, 10 feet, 15 feet? Uh, yeah, 15 feet. Oh, Jesus, um, 15 feet, okay. And it's a strength saving throw. Oh, yeah. there we go. <laughs> there we go. There's our example. Okay, so um, let, let's, let me just read it. When you hit a creature with a weapon attack, you can expend one superiority die to attempt to drive the target back. You add the superiority tied to the attack's damage roll. And if the target is large or smaller, it must make a strength saving throw. On a failed save, you push the target up to 15 feet away from you. And mm-hmm. uh, what, when I first read this, the first thing I thought of was like, hey, this would be amazing if I'm fighting in a place with like pits in the ground. Or if we're fighting on the edge of a cliff, I can just go in, do some meaty damage, and push this guy right to his death. And that's kind of what I mean about the Battlemaster being a tactician is because you're going to tactically use these maneuvers. Uh, you're going to use them in ways to control the battlefield to... Put your enemies where you want them or to get you or your allies where you want them. I believe what there's evasive footwork, which allows you to add your superiority die to your AC so that you can just kind of run through the enemies and you have a high AC. So it's really hard for them to hit you. Yeah. And that's why you're taking a move. So while you're moving, you can expend a superiority die. Um, You roll the die and you add the number to your AC until you stop moving. Yeah. And so there's just there's a whole list of battle maneuvers that are all these kind of extra things that you can do uh, to help you kind of tactically approach the combat rather than just attack and brute force your way through it the way a champion usually will do it. Yeah, in battle you can do commander strike and and use one of your attacks to uh, tell your uh, your friend your friend or ally to attack in your steed. Maybe they have something like radiant damage, which is super effective against um, the enemy you're fighting, mm-hmm. and uh, you want you know you can use your superiority die to have that attack be double as opposed to your attack, which wouldn't probably do uh, double damage in this scenario. Right. Right. You can uh, parry damage away um, to kind of mitigate what kind of damage you're taking, which is really useful as a fighter. Yeah. Uh, also what I find maneuvers do is it, it adds a mechanical aspect to what you would normally be able to do, but what the rules don't normally allow you to be able to do such as like disarming your opponent. Or, like, pushing your opponent. It's like, yeah, in real life, you should be able to do that, but the mechanics aren't exactly there for it normally, so the DM would have to, like, come up with them on the fly. But the maneuvers have them built in, where it's where you don't have to think about it. It's like, yeah, you can do this. This is the literal mechanic and feature for it, That's which like, is always um, nice. Do they call that theater combat? Um, like, is that what, what that is? What's theater combat? Because I've seen somebody kind of um, talk on, like, you can do... Um, like combat a bunch of different ways which you know because we did we one time we did that skill contest yes yeah um i've seen i've read another thing and it kind of sounded like what we did with the skill contest where it was like theater combat where you just explain what you want to do and the dm tells you what kind of roles you need to make or whether or not it'll be possible and yeah and that's exactly what you would have to i don't want to say resort to as if it's like not something you'd want to do but it's something you'd have to do in order to pull off what these maneuvers mechanically can do and i don't know i i kind of like how the Battlemaster just makes it so you don't have to think about it. It, it is built in there. And uh, the reason the Battlemaster can do it and other characters have a harder time doing it is, well, because that's what the Battlemaster specializes in. You know, you're a fighter. You're the best at what you do. So uh, my character, Rohan, is uh, an Air Genasi. Um, and I like to incorporate a lot of, like, the, the wind element into his fighting style, which is why I pick uh, something like pushing attack. So when... Uh, my character does a pushing attack. He usually strikes with his sword like a forward thrust. And if it connects, uh, like a tornado of wind kind of just pushes the enemy away. Mm-hmm. So that's how I flavor that attack. It's just literal air just comes out of, of me. Because Genasi are like magic. And they don't need any kind of material to cast their magic. They just kind of, their DNA, their blood or whatever is like the material they need to do the magic. So yeah, I just kind of flavor it like that. They are inherently infused with the elements, if you will. Right. Um, and yeah, I'm a huge advocate for flavoring your stuff as long as it's not as long as it's reasonable and it sounds fucking cool. Hell yeah, let's do that. Like, you know, that's not necessarily everyone's game. So your damn DM might not be so um, uh, what's the word I'm looking lenient. for? Lenient when it comes to your flavoring. Or but I am. I, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah, I put in evasive footwork because he's 
you know, dancing around. I draw a lot of my inspiration for this character from Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, and like the airbending style, I, I like to think about it when I when I think about what this character can do. So I have evasive footwork, commander strike, pushing attack, and parry. And uh, I think the reason I have four is because I took the martial adept feat. Yeah, that sounds about right. You do gain more maneuvers as you level, and your superiority die also increase as you level. Um, and that's in the player's handbook. It'll it'll tell you when those things increase. Yeah, rolling um, eight on your superiority die is monstrous. So like rolling a if they go up to level ten, I think it goes up to level ten. Let's see, I have it right here. Yeah, it goes up to a ten a a ten die or not level ten a ten die 10. at level ten yeah. and then a d twelve at level eighteen. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, rolling a ten like that's gonna be that's gonna be really cool if I do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It just makes it more more potent. Um, another thing you get as a battle master at level three is the student of war feature, which um, is a funny name for the feature. If you ask me, because what it does is it gives you a proficiency with one tool of your choice, one artisan tool. Um, and for Rohan, you chose a brewer supply. Yeah. Um, and then um, with my uh, background, which was a clan crafter, yes. I, I got another, uh, I got proficient with another set of tools, which was a calligraph- right. calligrapher's kit. I think right. I took calligraphy supplies first um, as right. my first thing, and then I took um, the brewer's kit after because <laughs> my my character is raised by dwarves, so he's not really like an inherent Aerodinazi. He acts more like a dwarf sometimes. So um, uh, they like their beer, their ale, and so he just he's carrying around like a jar with him all the time that brews that brews beer. So that's just like a like a weird um, character thing that he does. Yeah. And that's why I think the name of the feature is kind of funny is because if you look at all the artisan supplies out there, uh, you know, not many of them cry out student of war to me. Yeah. It's more like student of post-war when you're chilling after battle and you want to, you want to drink, you know, I'm more than just a fighter. I'm also an artist. I draw. (laughs) I do words with my brush. Yeah. So, um, so you haven't gotten much, further past that in this archetype because you guys are only level five but there's some stuff that you will get later on um the first one being a feature called know your enemy i can't wait i'm not too far from that i can't wait for it yeah that's at level seven and uh it, it says if you spend at least a minute observing and interacting with another creature outside of combat you learn certain information about its capabilities compared to your own so basically i'll be able to tell you whether you you can kind of just measure up a combatant. It's threat level. Three, yeah, threat level. Like, is this dude about your level of threat, or is he inferior or superior to you? And you'd be able to tell that just interacting with somebody after a minute or two. And that'll come in handy a lot, because you never know. Like, sometimes... Like somebody might be disguising their identity, but just because you're you know what to look for and you and you can recognize one of your own, maybe you can recognize that that old man is actually a really dope sword master who's like way better than you. Yeah, I can tell by the way he he walks around, just his footwork. Yeah, it's just, incredible. You can tell by his stink. He just paces and I can't <laughs> believe it. <laughs> so then uh at uh Level 10 and 18, like we talked about before, your combat, your combat superiority die improve. At level 15, you get an ability called Relentless, where when you roll initiative and have no superiority die remaining, you regain one superiority die. Which is pretty good. So for the most part, you pretty much just always have at least one battle maneuver in your pocket, even in the worst situations. Yeah, there might be... Um, I can think of like... You you thought that this was the last fight and you threw out everything you had to try and beat this big monster. And then um, let's say you're like leaving a dungeon and you trigger some other enemies and they're going to take they're going to take a little more than your party has left to give. But not you, because you're going to have that extra battle maneuver and do and you're probably going to pick something that deals extra damage or like knocks this uh, opponent prone or puts fear on it. You're going to do something to give your party an advantage and, and you'll probably be able to take it down. Yeah, by level 15, you'll have, I, I'm not even sure how many maneuvers, but you'll definitely have enough where you'll have something for pretty much any given situation. It'll be useful no matter what it is. Okay, so next up on our list is the final of the three main archetypes. Um, There are other archetypes, by the way. There are other books. There's actually like one other book, but we're not going to talk about that in this podcast. Maybe in another episode later, we'll, we'll get into the extra stuff that's out there, but this is just the core material that comes out of the player's handbook that we're covering here. And the final of the three archetypes is the Eldritch Knight, which is a load of fun and crazy different from the other two. Um, In 
the previous edition of D&D, there was a class called the Sword Mage, which was basically a fighter slash spellcaster. Basically, you were a wizard that integrated sword play into your spell work. And I I feel like the Eldritch Knight is kind of fifth edition's take on that, but kind of coming from the reverse angle where you're a fighter who dabbles in magic and integrates it into your combat stuff. Yeah, as opposed to um, like a wizard or something, you are primarily a fighter. Mm-hmm. But exactly. now you have um, enriched your fighting capabilities with magic. Yes. And which is freaking cool. It is really cool. And you do it in the style of a wizard, which means that you have studied and it is based off your intelligence. So this is the one case where mechanically you really want to boost up your intelligence to, you know, make it all make sense and to be, you know, an actually good spellcaster. Yeah. Um, but doing magic. So, like, as you're building a character... Like, what do you picture when um, somebody is, like, swinging their sword? Does a spell come out? Or, like, are you stepping back and sheathing and, like, casting something? Or, like, I, I, I don't know as much about the Eldritch as I do about the other two. Because I, I really wanted to run a more classic, like, sword-swinging guy. But um, but what, the, what happens? Like, what does it look like? So, with the Eldritch Knight, um, the spell work... In the actual combat with the sword, they're kind of separate a little bit. At least in the beginning, you, they do kind of start to intertwine more in the higher levels. But it's mostly along the lines of you, you're you a fighter, um, and you have your fighting style and all that stuff. But at level three, you start to learn spells, including cantrips, such as, like, I don't know, Ray of Frost or Cantrips um, are like, Fireball. you do cantrips for free. Cantrips, yeah, cantrip. Cantrips are a type of spell that you can cast every turn as many times as you want um, at infinitum for as many times as you have turns, um, and they don't cost you anything. And they usually do a minimum amount of damage compared to spells that actually have a level. Um, When it comes to casting spells in this game, you have what are called spell slots and a number of spells that you know. And um, you have a number of spell slots per level. And when you cast a spell of a level, you lose a spell slot and you can't cast, you can't reuse that slot until you've taken a long rest. So you have a limited amount of spells that you can cast uh, within a day. Yeah. If you got what we were saying about the superiority die, it's kind of similar in that regard. Yeah. And at level three, when you first take the Eldritch Knight archetype, you have two cantrips that you can know. Hey, let me, let's talk about the cantrips for a a second. Um, Like outside of combat, um, so I know that there's like the cantrip gust where you just sh- basically shoot wind out of your hands and right. stuff yeah, or, or whatever. Um, what would you say as a DM um, if somebody was just like, yep, I just start firing gusts like at nonstop out of my hands. Is that something they can do? Does it cost them energy? Do they get tired? Um, so outside of combat, if I mean, if they're going on for I don't know. Like, let's say your player is kind of an asshole and he's just like spinning around in circles, like firing off gusts. Yeah, I would say it's definitely going to exhaust him after a while, because if you think about it, combat is supposed to last anywhere from like a minute to five minutes tops, because each round of actions uh, in, in a combat is supposed to be equivalent to six seconds. So if you have a combat that goes 10 rounds, which is pretty long, actually, that's only a minute. So... Like theoretically, if you're out there casting gust over, yeah, just and over like in again, the middle of town, in the nope, middle of town, yeah. if you're just constantly casting a cantrip over and over and over again for like over five minutes, yeah, I'm gonna have you start rolling constitution saves to see how long you can keep it up, <laughs> because otherwise it doesn't make sense, and also you're being an ass. Yeah, like <laughs> there are people are like, what the, what the fuck is that like, guy this doing? Dude's here? lost his fucking mind. Where's all this wind coming from? <laughs> and D and D, just to go off topic again, real mm-hmm. quick, like if somebody did like in a Let's say you're in like a not um, not like a main town. Like you're just in some town, like some BS town with not. Yeah. There's nobody like magically educated there, and you start doing magic in the middle of the town. What happens? Um, Do people freak out? Because this seen, yeah. this is highly dependent on your setting. Like, so in your campaign setting, how common is magic? Is it a thing that everyone knows about, and it's a thing, and everyone accepts that it's real, and is everyone okay with it? Like. In my world, it's kind of mostly, yeah, the, yes to all those. But in some people's worlds, uh, magic is very rare, hardly ever seen. Maybe even in some places it's like strongly not even believed in. 
And um, so to like go do magic in the middle of town, might, like yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah, it might be crazy. In some, maybe in some people's worlds, it's it's outright outright outlawed and yeah. it's heresy. Like the townspeople are scared of it and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So it's against the law, and then you go and do it, and yeah, now now you're in trouble. So okay. that that's more reliant on your campaign setting, and you know that's up to the DM. Okay, let's get back on topic. Oh so yeah, using, the Eldritch Knight <laughs> using your magic in uh, in a fighter's style. So Eldritch Knight. Oh yeah. So okay. So at level three, you get two cantrips and three known spells from the wizard list, and a total of two first level spell slots. Which means that um, of the spells that you know, they're probably all three first level because you can't cast anything higher. You only get to do it two times before you need to take a long rest before you can do any other uh, spell slinging, if you will. That's of a level higher than a cantrip. And um, I believe you are also limited to two schools of magic, uh, evocation and abjuration. Um, at, at the very least, I know that at least every time that you gain new spells, at least one of them has to be related to one of those two schools of magic. And and the reason being, like, you are a fighter, so, like, your spell casting knowledge should be related to combat, mostly. And evocation is, like, elemental type stuff, like ice and fire and lightning and all that kind of stuff well abjuration is more like uh augmentation so like shields and and stuff like that blade wards and stuff like that that's abjuration magic i think bark skin and stuff like that kind of enhancing yourself so there's just a list of um underneath those two different schools of magic there's a list of spells that you can choose from uh, yeah, it's not written in list form, but whenever you're looking at a spell, like towards the top, it'll say what uh, school of magic the spell falls under. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, like generally speaking, as an Eldritch Knight, you're not going to have a lot of illusion and enchantment magic. I mean, you can, you can have some of those spells, but the rules state that you must have at least one of your spells coming from one of the two schools, abjuration or evocation. Okay. So that's that's something to keep in mind. So what um what else do we got for? So another thing that you get is called your weapon bond, which is a cool thing that reminds me of the sword mage from days past. And it is a ritual that you perform to create a magical bond between yourself and one of your weapons. And when you when you form this bond, you have a connection with this weapon, uh, which gives you a couple things. Uh, number one being uh, when you when you're using that weapon there's pretty much nothing that can disarm that weapon from you. No ability, even if it's supposed to, your your weapon can't be disarmed from you. Yeah, it is now bonded with you. It is now bonded with you. And, and not like literally. It hasn't been, like has a mechanical feature. Yeah, it hasn't been melted or fused into your hand. Because there's mechanical, like uh, disarming your opponent is something you could try to do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other thing it does, which is even cooler if you ask me, is as long as you and the weapon are on the same plane of existence meaning you're both in the mortal realm or you're both in the astral sea or yeah, whatever. Yeah, D&D is a multidimensional like fiasco. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely a multidimensional fiasco. As long as you guys are in the same dimension though, you can summon that blade or axe or whatever it is you use from anywhere. It just will instantly teleport in your hand no matter how far away it is. Yeah, you want to leave it in the forest like you're unarmed and then go into a situation like you need to be unarmed to talk to some people and then they turn on you, call your weapon out. Yep. Exactly. Pretty sweet. So at level seven, you get what's called uh, your war magic feature, which when you use your action to cast a cantrip, you can also make one weapon attack on top of it, which is really nice. Sick. Yeah. So it, it starts to make sense for you to use your magic and weapon combat at the same time, because um, otherwise it's like, why would I cast a cantrip when I can just make two attacks? Right. Well, now you can cast a cantrip and an attack on top of it. So it's going to come out to about the same damage, maybe a little less than the champion or whatever. But you're going to have whatever cool rider effect that cantrip also tends to have. Like, yeah, that magic has a lot of cool, like, ray of frost. You can you Slow can, enemies, yeah. yeah. Frost yeah, which, damage, which can add a bonus to yeah, the damage true. you do. What if, what if the enemy's weak to frost? Like, yeah, yeah, or like burning handy. hands, you know, you can do lots of cool stuff. Yeah, that's not a cantrip, but it's a really good spell. Oh, burning hands level one spell slot, uh, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay. That's a really cool spell. I like, that. I like that spell. At level 10, you get what's called your Eldritch Strike. Which is you learn how to make your weapon strikes undercut a creature's resistance to your spells. So when you hit a creature with a weapon attack, 
Uh, that creature has disadvantage on the next saving throw it makes against the spell that you cast, which is cool setup. Like, let's say you want to cast Burning Hands, but you want it to actually hit. You don't want this thing to save off um, and totally avoid your Burning Hands. So you hit them with, your, with what is now called your Eldritch Strike. And then on your next That's turn... It's just essentially a weapon attack, right? Yeah, which is essentially a weapon attack, yeah. Um, so, and then you maybe use your action surge or wait till your next turn to cast whatever spell it was that you want to go off. And now the creature has disadvantage against saving against your spell. Pretty cool. At level 15, you gain an arcane charge, which gain, gives you the ability to teleport up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space. You That's can ridiculous. See, yeah. When you use your action surge only though, you can teleport before or after, but it is attached to your action surge, but still it's really fucking cool. Is that like misty step? Uh, yeah, it's the same amount of distance, but, um, Misty Step tends to be flavored, like, you kind of, like, disappear in a shroud of mist. Yeah. Although, in my opinion, go ahead and flavor however you want. Um, Arcane Charge is just, like, you're blinking in and out. And can you do that? Uh, what's, like, the limitation on that? Like, what, when can you, when can you use that? What do you, Misty Step or the Arcane Charge? The Arcane Charge. The Arcane Charge is tied to your Action Surge, so you can only, so you can only use it when you use when you the Action surge. surge. You can use it before or after. But it has to be attached to the action surge. Okay, so just basically once per short. Yeah, once per short rest okay. is really what it comes down to, which is a lot. That's a lot of teleporting, you know, once every short rest. And then lastly, at level 18, you get improved war magic. When you use your action to cast a spell, you can make a one-weapon attack. So that's that's great. So not only can you cast a cantrip and attack, but you can now cast Burning Hands and then also attack. So you can um, you can attack with your Elder Strike, was it? and put the opponent at disadvantage for the save and cast the spell and later on you can cast a spell and then follow it up with a weapon attack yep that's absolutely true sweet yeah. um so have you ever run the the, the eldritch no i haven't I, I've, I've had multiple um like character concepts i've wanted to run i just haven't really had the opportunity cool but yeah the eldritch knight is really really cool and probably the most complicated of the three archetypes yeah once you bring spells and magic into the into a class it's it kind of yeah, it's a it's whole a, whole new set of rules and mechanics you got to learn yeah. and, and know, which we haven't really covered. And I would say next class breakdown, let's just tackle the wizard so we can tackle spellcasting. Yeah, um, so this is a good introduction. We've talked about spellcasting and how it works a couple times, but um, in order to fully understand it, you got to really get into it. And uh, there's a lot of possibilities, so it's definitely something we're going to be doing an episode on in the future. Yeah. But to wrap it up with the fighter, as you can see, between the archetypes and all the proficiencies and everything that the fighter can do, the fighting styles, the fighter is one of, if not the most versatile class out there. I used to think it was boring, but it is now easily in my top five of favorite classes. And I highly recommend it to new players just because it's an easy class to understand and delve into, especially at level one. And then just seeing all the different places it can go, like your player's more than likely not going to get bored with it. Yeah, if you have a player that doesn't have a lot of experience with um, like reading or watching fantasy, it doesn't have like a um, kind of general understanding of what magic is and what it can do in like any kind of setting, then the fighter is probably the most relatable thing you're going to get. Yeah. Because it's just a guy with a sword. Like we have that in history and yeah, it's no do. problem for somebody to be like, yeah, there's a guy with a sword. Like what do you, or there's a guy with a, I don't know. There's lots of different kinds of weapons, flails and archer that we talked about at the beginning and like yeah. big, big swords, small swords, two swords, one sword, <laughs> knives, daggers. Um, You can get throwing knives too, right? Yeah. Well, Range yeah, attack. they're just knives, but yeah, you can throw them. Yeah. Would you use that? Would you do archery with that? Or um, is that like a, I think the archery fighting style actually does give a bonus to um throw throwing uh weapons as well yeah within like you have two different types of ranges right with that like if you're gonna if you're gonna use a bow and arrow like you have a short range and a long range and i think at long range you take disadvantage on your attacks um the way i I think the way it works isn't necessarily that you have like short range long range You, you have melee and then you have ranged um some weapons have further range than others but the, the right. general rule is if you make a ranged attack while someone is next to you like within five feet of you uh it will provoke opportunity attack because you're leaving yourself open there okay cool but yeah so yeah that's the fighter it's it's a great class i recommend you check it out hey everybody with that we're gonna call it a game 
going to go ahead and leave you in some very special hands right now. Probably the most special hands you've ever felt. That's right. You guessed it. It's the Sage DM here to give you some Sage DM advice. Why don't you go ahead and take it away, Sage DM? Hey, everybody. Sage DM here with your Sage DM advice for the week. Remember, you can lead your barbarian to the fight, but you can't make him kill. Toodaloo. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, the podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. I bring you two episodes a week. Every Monday, I cover something from a wide variety of topics, covering everything from feminist faves throughout history like Audre Lorde, listener coming out stories, and other hot-button topics like toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement as well as plenty feminist history, the good and the controversial. And then every Friday, I bring you a mini What's in the News episode to keep you up to date with everything that's going on today in the world. And with over 580 episodes available to you right now, there's plenty of good stuff to listen to. You can listen to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminists wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rage on. Bye. Bye.